This is 169 Projects. I'm Michael Tutton. I'm insatiably curious and excited about finding great work done in digital signage and visual communications. This podcast is designed to dig into some of those projects, find out what they're all about and how they came together. That might be a big experiential job, a massive video wall, projection mapping, or a cool one-to-one interactive project. Each episode will get into the thinking behind the project and how it came together by talking to the people responsible. Just like the Mothership Podcast 16.9, this one's available online, or you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or using your favorite podcast listening app. I'm grateful and excited to announce that the podcast now has a sponsor thanks to Mahler Digital Signage. That's right, 16.9 Projects is sponsored by Mahler Digital Signage. Put your digital signage network in expert hands. This, the fifth episode of Projects, is about the Jacksonville International Airport in Northern Florida, which serves 5.5 million passengers a year. While their digital overhaul isn't as spectacular when compared to some of our previous episodes, it is complex and well thought out. Projects of this size are becoming more commonplace, so I asked Colleen Hamilton, Principal at Art of Context, and Stephen Schultz, Director of Information Technology for Jacksonville Airport, about some of the details involved in delivering a project like this, including engaging stakeholders, effective emergency messaging, and avoiding scope creep. People at airports rely on data a lot and can get very cranky when things aren't correct, so it's interesting to hear how they got it right. I spoke with Colleen and Stephen via Skype. Thanks for joining the podcast. I think most people have been in an airport, so I don't think we need to describe what the project looks like upon completion, but maybe if you could describe what the project encompassed and and what's maybe a bit different about this than your traditional airport installation. Sure. So like many businesses, technologies put in place to meet a specific need and over time that need may change and if the business doesn't keep up with the different pieces of technology over time what you end up with are a number of disparate point solutions and that was really the story of where we were at we had the three different solutions that push digital content to different screens within the terminal. And we were at a place where we needed to refresh that technology. And so we took it as an opportunity to think a little more holistically. And instead of think about point solutions with regards to whether it was advertising or flight information for the traveling public, to look at it from the perspective of managing all of that technology from a single platform and then looking at it through the lens of the traveler's experience. And so that was that was the overlay that we started with when we began this project. And how did you bring it all together in terms of the stakeholders and envisioning the, the end goal? How did you pull that together? It was a little bit of an iterative process. We started with who we thought the obvious stakeholders were, and, and what we mean by that is – We have managers on the business side that clearly manage processes related to facilitating passengers through the terminal, getting them through security, getting them to gates, those kinds of things. And we have managers that are responsible for managing advertising um, and selling advertising in the terminal. And so we started with them and began a very free-form kind of what-if conversation. And as we began to work through some of those what-ifs, we began to realize that there were other people within the organization that had stake in this technology. So, for example, our police and security 
wanted to be able to push emergency messages to the traveling public in the event of something happening in the terminal. And, and as an example, perhaps we have to evacuate the terminal. And so we brought that group in and involved them from the stakeholders. Uh, and we continued that process um, for a time period to figure out what exactly was the end in mind that we were trying to reach and what did we really want, one, the traveler experience to be? And then secondly, what were the gaps in business processes that we had today that we felt we could close with this kind of solution? And so what came out of that in terms of, I mean, obviously you have to have uh, baggage information, flight information, and that's kind of the core stuff that people like me think about when we're in an airport. But how did that stakeholder process uh, change the outcome of the project? Well, I think for the first time we began to stop thinking about information on screens and began to think about what does a traveler need as they proceed through their journey. And so certainly they need information. But really, when particularly if somebody's traveling on leisure, they're really thinking about the journey and where they're going and what they're going to experience. And we wanted to be part of that journey, part of that travel experience. And information is part of that. But we wanted to convey a, a sense of place, a sense of destination. We wanted to provide along the way, hey, here's some additional things you can experience maybe as part of our, our terminal amenities um, and become part of their journey. And as travelers come back to Jacksonville, we wanted to let them know that they were in Jacksonville and promote some of our city events. So, for example, during uh, the Tournament Players Championship, which is a, a very large golf um, tournament here in Jacksonville, we show golf-themed images on all of the bag claim belts. And as travelers go down to claim their bags, they're greeted with this sense of this golf tournament that's taking place in Jacksonville that they're arriving at. So give me an idea if, if I can use the term channels. Give me an idea of the types of channels or the number of channels that are throughout the property. Well, one of the channels of information coming to our traveling public is in the form of wayfinding. And these are interactive screens where our passengers really have an opportunity to begin to think about what they might want as part of their journey. And did they have everything that they needed? So when I get on the aircraft, do I have my headphones? And if not, I have an opportunity to go and get those before I uh, board the aircraft. Or I've got some time and maybe I want to sit down and, and have a drink or get something to eat. Uh, there are dedicated visual paging screens uh, which allow us to push required messaging from TSA, uh, as an example, and any uh, dynamic messaging. So if somebody has lost an item, we can put that up on the visual paging and not only create an uh, audible PA announcement, but also put that uh, as a dynamic visual signage. We also uh, have your traditional advertising, and we have screens dedicated to that where we sell advertising space. And in our terminal, we create what's called a moment of exclusivity. So as you walk through certain parts of the terminal, there might be multiple screens showing advertising, but they're all showing the same advertising. And that becomes a premium space for revenue because 
that ad is not competing for the traveler's attention with other ads. We have your what most airports would consider traditional flight information. So um, the boards with arriving and departing flights and whether or not those flights are on schedule. We have in baggage claim boards with uh, what flight is at which bag claim and uh, when uh, those bags are being delivered. Uh, we have your traditional gate information. So you show up at gate A3, what flight is at that gate, when is it leaving? Uh, and then we mix in with those, again, that sense of destination, and we'll put images of the destination, we'll put weather at the destination, those kinds of things. Behind the scenes, every single screen in the terminal can be used for emergency messaging. And so if something were to happen in the terminal, then every screen can be used to provide emergency direction to the traveling public. In our corporate space, which most travelers don't get to see, we have screens that we use to push out information to our employees, uh, things like, you know, uh, uh, happy birthday and happy anniversary, service anniversaries. Uh, we push out statistics related to process performance, those kinds of things. And upcoming, we're working on a project to push out streaming video to different screens within the terminal as well. So if the golf tournament is on, we can stream the video of the golf tournament to selected screens or uh, the Jaguars football games, as an example. We would also be able to stream that kind of content as well. One of the main reasons for the project, if I'm not mistaken, was the emergency messaging. I was wondering if you could maybe address that. Absolutely. Um, we've certainly talked about emergency messaging with the, the many airports that we work with, but Jacksonville has been the first airport that we know of to tackle it. And it was an important requirement that all the signage be moved to one system to enable the ability to send one common message. What was difficult about tackling it is just making sure they had um, a strong plan from an operation standpoint, because Many people don't tackle it, not based on technology, but based on how do we put out the right message? How do we send, don't send people down the wrong corridor? But what we did was make it very simple messaging so they could say congregate in the courtyard, go to the information desk. We decided to avoid uh, directional arrows and things of that nature at this point. We also made sure that there was different zones so they can send emergency messaging to just one concourse or just one level, or the entire sign network. And uh, I believe Stephen can tell about an example of they really actually used the system already after it was implemented during Hurricane Matthew. Yes, yeah, so during Hurricane Matthew, even though no flights were coming in and out, the facilities were actually still open, and there were people in the, the terminal area. And... During the hurricane, we got notification of a tornado warning uh, through our weather service. And so uh, that means that a tornado is in the area, and um, that creates a, a large safety concern, obviously, uh, for our kind of operation. So our operations staff pulled up the emergency messaging 
uh, console and pushed a red screen to every single screen in the terminal with tornado warning with instructions of where to gather so that they would be in a safe place away from glass and, you know, flying debris and, and those kinds of things that could prevent uh, that could present a safety hazard to the traveling public. And so it's one of those things that you hope you never have to use, but having it in place was super effective uh, during the Hurricane Matthew event as we had people around the, the terminal still. And what kind of team is running all of this? We have various people in the business side that own and manage their specific content. So, for example, business development uh, will sell advertising, and they manage all of the advertising content themselves. They will stage and deploy that content. Uh, on the information technology side, we have uh, two people that are knowledgeable of the platform and can add and remove and manage content, but that's not really primarily their job. The This platform that we've pushed out lives on our standard infrastructure. And so what I mean by that is it uses the same servers, the same network, the same backend software to support the media management software as every other application in the organization. So my server administrator can support this application just as he supports everything else. My network administrator can support this application just as he supports everything else. And that's key because what that allows us to do is have a very homogenous back-end IT deployment and let my staff be experts in a few things, but still support a very broad range of technology. I'd like to thank our sole sponsor, Mahler Digital Signage, for their patronage. It helps cover the costs and means the podcast can visit DSC to gather some more great interviews. Here's Mahler's Luis Villafane. Hi there, this is Luis from Mahler Digital Signage. You can find us at MahlerDSO.com. We plan, install, and manage digital signage networks for marketing projects, advertising, and retail. We don't sell PCs, we don't sell screens, we don't sell advertising or do physical installations. At Maller Digital Signage, we offer an all-around consultancy service and project management that will help you find the best hardware and software solutions to deploy from scratch your digital signage network. We adapt to what your company needs, from small to large networks, with a direct support from our engineers within 20 minutes. So at Matter, we manage and design networks. We manage and design digital signage networks. That is it. Check out our website at www.mallardso.com. Colleen, maybe you could help us understand the content and the content strategy involved. Absolutely. Well, uh, Stephen and his crew had a really uh, strong vision of of the content they wanted when they when we started this project, and it's also rare for uh, an airport to literally redo every screen and add new screens to the airport at once and to have such a strong vision. So we tackled flight information, uh, baggage information claims, gate information, ticket counters, emergency messaging, interactive directory. All of those things were part of this initial project. So our strategy was to design it all at once to make sure we had a cohesive aesthetic um, that met the needs at the outset. So everything would look like it belonged to the same family and really make a wonderful experience for the passenger. 
So we worked with, um, instead of doing them one at a time, we designed everything at once and talked about the type of content they wanted. Um, destination weather, having images of destinations, get information displays that would change whether it was daytime or nighttime. And we made sure all of these things were in scope and that they fit, uh, that they were maintainable, because that was obviously a very strong and important um, requirement that they were going to own this system, that we weren't going to be adding content for them, that we were going to be training them along the way. So that really uh, fed into that strategy. And when we came to, down to doing the interactive directories, which has a little more freedom of content than uh, flight information displays, these guys also had a, a great vision. They knew they already had directories and we were redoing them, but they didn't want them, they wanted them to look different. They wanted them to attract the passenger and let them know this is something new. And since it, it wasn't a very complicated map with only 20 gates, we didn't really go with the map approach as part of the directory. You had to dig a little deeper to get to a map. We really went with um, very attractive photography that moves a little bit of animation and saying, you know, are you hungry? Do you need to shop? Do you need some essentials? And really bring folks over to those new directories. So all in all, I, we felt that the together we really worked hand in hand with having an efficient content strategy and being able to get it done on a quick time scale altogether. I'm trying to imagine pulling together all of the images necessary to represent destinations of flights. So maybe explain putting how that would work. Cause it, and on top of that, you still have advertisers and stuff to include, and I'm sure some local messaging as well. But I'm just imagining all the locations. Right. And, and maybe explain how you pulled all that together. Well, we actually just got a – it was all destination-based. Um, when it came to uh, – uh, flight information displays. We used imagery, local imagery from Jacksonville. And when it came to destinations, um, we know exactly where, what the list of cities that they're flying to. So we got that list from from Stephen and his team. And then we went out and uh, with a you know a small budget of money, we purchased um, a stock photography for those particular cities and day and night that we thought would fit well with the kind of color schemes that we were going with. So it, it was. Uh, that's actually was one of the funner parts of the project. And then, how about the data? There's a lot of information involved in you know people like myself walking through. That's really the stuff that they're counting on. Could you maybe explain, I guess, what data is there, and then maybe the intricacies of pulling that data together? So getting data to the screens uh, is, of course, as you said, it's the real key. Uh, on the back end the various airlines provide updates to their flight schedules and the status of those flights. And that comes into our organization through various channels. Uh, there are services that aggregate that data and we subscribe to uh, one of those services. Uh, and then in addition to that, we have direct connections with several of the airlines and they provide their information to us directly. So in a back-end database, all of those data streams are captured and aggregated, and that becomes our operational data. So the, the folks that are sitting over in our airport operations center are using that information on a daily basis to schedule gates and to know what aircraft is moving where. 
because that's our operational data, we chose to use that data to display on the screens. It's one version of the truth, if you will. Whatever gate is being used and managed from operations is the information, the gate information that we want to show to the traveling public. So that information becomes uh, consolidated through um, a, a program and presented up to the digital media management platform uh, through an interface. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's an XML call, to, not to get too far into the IT weeds, but uh, basically the media management platform calls the database uh, through an interface and, and requests current flight information. That information is then presented back uh, through a data wrapper that transforms it into the right format so that it's something meaningful to the traveling public. Because what's in the, actually in a database is an airline code, not the actual airline name. And so what we want to present is the airline name. We want to present um, friendly, readable English, readable information. And so that wrapper does a lot of translation to make it more friendly for our traveling public. Uh, and then as that's presented up to the media management platform, the specific sign templates have variables and filters so that if you're at gate A3, it just selects the data for A3 and displays that data. Is that usual that an airport would use the same data that the, the operations team is using? I would say it's not unusual, but depending on who you talk to, you'll find a number of different point solutions that have been put in place over time, and they may not mm. always be based on the same foundation or the same foundation data. So I, I, I wouldn't say it's unusual, but I would also say that there are certainly uh, variances to that throughout the industry. In terms of setting up the design, how did you uh, envision it beforehand? Were there any labs or anything set up to, to do testing? So yes, we created a lab environment, and that lab environment has two parts. One part is to ensure production stability. And what that looks like are a number of endpoints connected to development and test systems so that if we apply a new version of the software or we apply patches to the software, then we can test that in an environment that uh, we can preview without affecting what the the passengers in the terminal are going to see. The piece that we use really more for development prior to rolling out to the terminal uh, was the second piece, and that is we staged a number of screens uh, in and around our project area, and those screens remain today for us to continue to do development on, where when we built content and templates, we would push the, that content to those screens here in our project area. And that let us preview them. It let us uh, make sure that all of the data, all of the content was appropriate. But then the secondary benefit of that was it really allowed us to evangelize the look and feel of this content as we were pushing it out. It became easy for me to in a hallway conversation, talk with our CEO or our COO, as an example, and say, hey, stop by. I, I want to show this to you. And in five minutes, they could walk by and look at it and say, yeah, that looks great. Or maybe, no, I don't like it. And so not only did it allow us to assure the quality of the data 
and the quality of the visual, it allowed us to build internal alignment with those chief stakeholders, chief executives that potentially could at some point say, well, I don't like it, and then create a, a problem for the project. And I think that that piece added more value to the project uh, than we could possibly describe. Were there any issues that arose during the installation uh, that were unexpected and, and that you learned something from? No project is without bumps and unexpected events. I mean, that's just part of, of any project deployment. But I'll say that we put a really solid team together between Art of Context and between JAA. And as a result of having a solid team that was clear on the vision and committed to the project, the normal, what I you know, just call project churn kind of things, really didn't create a lot of issue for us. Uh, one of the missteps, I would say, that we discovered after the fact goes back to our stakeholder definition conversation. We felt like we had done a really good job of identifying stakeholders and getting them involved. And after we went to production, we realized that we missed one. And that showed up in the form of data being pushed to our baggage claims. And as it turns out, the airlines sometimes will consolidate multiple flights onto a single bag belt. And that's common practice in many airports, but really wasn't so common in ours. But they would do it, and they wouldn't necessarily tell anyone. And so, which is fine, that's their prerogative, but the, the problem arose because we couldn't show all of that data simultaneously. And we had to go back and we had to fix that, and we had to re-engineer those bag belts, and by our failure to identify them as a stakeholder on the front end and get that requirement, we had to rework those specific signs on the back end. Did the scope of the project change at all as you were rolling out, or, or was was everything locked down? Like the the, you, the way you answered that sounded like you really kind of did have everything quite locked down heading into it. So I'm just curious, uh, you know, there's always scope creep. How much did that impact things? I'll take a stab at that, and then I'll let Colleen <laughs> give her perspective and see if <laughs> the answers match. So when we launched the project and we selected Art of Context, who were just fabulous partners in this, by the way, one of the things that we did was we created a fixed price, fixed scope contract. And because it's fixed price, then any deviation from what that scope request was um, would necessitate a conversation about what the impact of that scope change would be. And that translated into not only details of that change, you know, what work actually had to be done, but cost and time impacts. And that let us have very discrete conversations about do we want to do this or do we not want to do that, and gave us very tight control around the scope. So the scope definitely changed, and it changed not because we missed a bunch of requirements. It changed because as we started putting things out, people began to see it and began to get excited about it and say, hey, we want to now do this other thing. Uh, and a good example is we have a big outdoor sign in our courtesy waiting lot, and it was end of life. 
And so the question came from our executive management team, hey, can you replace that big old sign in the courtesy lot and use that same kind of content? And so we did some work uh, and, and did scope change around that. Uh, but it was because the appetite of the organization for what we were doing began to increase. Colleen, what would you add? Um, I think that's pretty accurate. For the original project, the only scope change we had was the one Stephen mentioned about the, um, the bag claim. We had designed it a little bit more with, uh, are you sure it's only going to be one flight at a time? Like, yes, we are. So we designed the template to just have the one flight and, and additional uh, imagery. And then we changed that. But it was really fantastic because every decision that was made, um, Stephen was very clear to say, to all his stakeholders, let's literally sign off on this. Is everyone comfortable with this? And then we moved forward and implemented. So I'd say that was really the least amount of scope creep I've ever experienced on a project. And then everything else was additional scope added as the program expanded, like the um, exterior lot sign and then uh, visual paging and ticket counters were all kind of add-ons to the project to literally cover every type of sign that an airport would need. Did you feel locked in by that approach that you couldn't you couldn't really keep adding things to it or were, or were you both happy with the way that that worked? I was happy because our schedule was very um, aggressive anyway. We were uh, covering a lot of ground, uh, but we did it in a very uh, risk adverse way. We started with you know simple advertising before we moved on to critical flight information displays. And then when that was working well, let's move on to the gate displays, which also affect our airline uh, stakeholders and then baggage. So we really felt there was always um, a critical piece of the project to, to uh, take on next and then interactive directories fairly near the end. And we brought in additional scope in the middle before it was even complete to, because the need was there. But um, it was usually as a critical piece was, as, was um, coming to a close so we could bring on other pieces. We didn't feel locked in because we were just so focused on the goals of, of doing it all, really. But um, and it, with, um, I guess, Stephen's guidance and, and partnership, it really worked well. We just made decisions um, every week because we got together on the phone every week, which really helps things um, go along smoothly. I would agree, and I would say from the Aviation Authority side of things, having a clear scope and having it clearly agreed upon and everybody mm -hmm. being on the same page was tremendously helpful. And partnership goes two ways, right? Art of Context was a fabulous partner uh, to us through the project, and anything that we asked that was reasonable, they didn't try to claim as a scope change necessarily. Um, and we really appreciated that. On the backside, we as the Aviation Authority need to be good partners. And that is, if we're going to request things that really weren't in scope, out of fairness, you know, we need to talk about that. And we need to talk about cost and schedule impacts. And so, it sounds constricting, but it was actually very freeing, if you'll allow me yeah. to, to characterize it that way, because we had a lot of very good conversation about um, you know, what's in scope, what's not in scope. If we want to do this, this is what it means. This is what it means to cost. This is what it means to schedule. It allowed us to make a business decision based on the value of that to the organization and allowed me to characterize 
what this change meant to the project financially and business impact uh, to the stakeholders rather than it just kind of getting mired into everything else that we were already working on. So even the changes gained a tremendous amount of clarity and the ability to talk about those discreetly. And at least in my world, that creates a lot of value. So other than having a uh, pretty clear scope for doing a project like this, what other advice would you give to somebody uh, approaching some sort of project with as much uh, data and, and uh, involvement as this? Communication was also um, the pillar of why this project went so well. And, and making sure that you have – we were very fortunate to have on, on, our, on our client team uh, and. Uh, Stephen being the leader of that team and having all the IT knowledge really made things very smooth from our perspective. We never had to say something was out of scope. Stephen already knew what was in scope and what wasn't, and he would bring it up to us. So that was um, new for us and, and, and certainly something that we were glad to have. But And I think Stephen can add a little bit more to, to the communication aspects that really helped this project go smooth. Yeah, you know, communication is always – it seems like the silver bullet answer. Everybody always says it, and it's really, really, really hard to do. Uh, and you have to be very thoughtful about it, and it has to happen in the context of your organization. And one of the things that we mentioned earlier is that we required the business stakeholders around the table to physically ink a piece of paper before we went to production that said, this is the design, this is what I want and I'm ready to go to production. And that created a level of ownership with the stakeholder community and made sure that the project wasn't being perceived as doing things out of step with the business readiness. And then that communication goes in many different channels to many different levels. Uh, I had a lot of elevator conversations. We had a lot of formal project status update meetings. We had a lot of project team meetings. We met every week whether we needed to or not. And as it turned out, we always needed to. Um, so, you know, I think keeping the project communication going, even when you don't think you need to meet, um, having those elevator pitches ready to go, and then seeking out the opportunity to just, you know, Talk to every single person that you run into about, hey, you know, here's this project. We're real excited about it. Can I show it to you? Can I get your thoughts on it and build the understanding of the organization? Because digital signage is a little different than many IT applications. When you give somebody a general ledger application, they kind of get what they get and they um, have to use it to accomplish your business process. When you put something visual in front of people, their first reaction is, I like it or I don't like it. And if the wrong person says, I don't like it, your project's in trouble. And, and so that was really part of our key thought process through the, the whole project was to make sure we never found ourselves in a place where we were surprised by that statement. Thank you both very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks a lot. That's all for this episode of 69 Projects. If you've seen a project in the wild and said to yourself, now that's cool, I'd love to hear about it and maybe featured on an upcoming episode. You can reach me at michael at crowncontent.ca. 
This podcast is a companion to the 169 podcast, which talks to smart people doing interesting things in this business. It's also tied in with 169, which is the website to read if you really want to learn about the digital signage industry. You'll find that at 16-9.net. This podcast is produced by me in Toronto and is a product of Vertical Media Consulting Group, the massive media empire my buddy Dave Haynes runs out of his house down the highway in Burlington, Ontario. This podcast is sponsored by Mahler Digital Signage. Check them at mahlerdso.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Tutton.